Industrial Light and Magic, LucasArts, Skywalker Sound, Lucasfilm Animation. This is Looking at Lucasfilm with Jim Hill and Dan Z. Well, hello, everybody. Welcome to a live recording of Looking at Lucasfilm. I am one of your usual hosts, Dan Z. Jim Hill, of course, is the guy who's sort of our podfather. Podfather is a good yes. name for him. Yeah. I like that. And he couldn't be with us. He he got a flu shot and then got sick. So and then his wife did as well. And so they weren't going to make the trip. It was going to fourteen hour drive for them. So we are going to carry the load. And I am with some pretty incredible people who you'll recognize from both looking at Lucasfilm and Coffee with Kenobi, my my normal podcast. First, let's bring in for Marvelous Disney. The amazing, as they say, Aaron Adams. Hello. I know the podcast can't see me waving. Yes. Nice to be here, guys, for the third year now, and it's nice when you come back and you start seeing familiar faces, and thank you for being here. Oh, absolutely. And also joining us, the first-time guest to Looking at Lucasfilm, uh, my good friend yours, he is our CWK newsman. We have a Coffee with Kenobi Star Wars news segment that's on mo- almost all the time, yeah. and that would be hosted by Tom Gross. Well, thank you so much. It's good to be here, and uh, what a fun event this is. Uh, and so I'm, I'm so excited to be on Looking at Lucasfilm Absolutely. for the very first time. And I really like your shirt. Hey, thanks. Yeah, thanks. I, it, it came from a very fine place. Oh, good. Yes. Good deal. Yeah, yours is nice, too. <laughs> yeah, whatever. It's not as orange as I would like. <laughs> All right, so this is going to be cool. We're gonna, we have some ideas we want to talk about. There's some news from a recent Charles Soule comic book about Kylo Ren. It's going to come out very close to the rise of Skywalker that we want to discuss. But normally what we do on these shows is we bring up news, recent Lucasfilm news and Star Wars news, especially Star Wars news. Although I have a feeling that in about mm, seven months or so, it's going to be more Indiana Jones driven because of what Disney has in mind for marketing and all that good stuff. But And then Jim will do some history stuff. So there's no history today. It's just going to be no history us. lesson. No history lesson. Oh, so we're skipping history. What do we got? We're skipping, okay, so here's. I'll just start off with the Charles. Are you all from, do you, any of you read Star Wars comics? Yes. Okay. So Charles Soule has a Kylo Ren comic book coming out, and it's going to tell the story of Ben Solo becoming Kylo Ren. It's going to be told in comic book form. I took a snapshot of something he posted on Twitter the other day, and these two haven't heard, so I'm going to read it. We're all going to react to it. Okay. With Ben Solo's fall come Kylo Ren's rise. Young Ben Solo is legendary Jedi Luke Skywalker's most promising pupil. As the son of Rebel Alliance heroes, Leia Organa and Han Solo, as well as Luke's own nephew, Ben has the potential to be a great force for light in the galaxy. But the Skywalker legacy casts a long shadow. The currents of the dark side run deep, and Darth Vader's blood runs in Ben's veins. Voices call from both his past and his future, telling him who he must be. Interesting, it says must be, I think. He will shatter, he will be reforged, and in his destiny will be revealed. Snoke awaits. The Knights of Ren await. Ben Solo's path to his true self begins here. So, as is our want, especially on Coffee with Kenobi, tell me your instant reactions to this. Because there are a few things that stand out to me. Well, I, I like the fact that you repeated the must. How, how did that line go? Voices call from his past and his future telling him who he must be. Who he must be. That's interesting because when I think about those scenes in the, in the film where he is sitting in front of Vader's helmet and he keeps saying the light side keeps calling to me and the le- or drawing me in or, or I can't remember his exact language. And so that makes me, that really makes me wonder 
what must he be called to? Um, you know, is it a personal desire or is it, a, is it the force drawing at him? Huh, that's interesting. Can't we just have Kylo be a bad guy and call it good? Do we have to even speculate that there might be an iota of good in him? And will he turn the way that Vader turned in the last moment to save? I want Kylo to be a punk. I just want him to be bad, just so we can have a bad guy. Because like we had Snoke, and it's uh, we were going to be, is this the new emperor? Is this new bad? And then all of a sudden, a Snoke kebab. Yeah, all of a sudden he gets sliced in twain, and now we have little bits of Snoke everywhere. And it's like, well, I guess that theory is kind of torn asunder. So we need someone to be the bad guy, and I like Kylo as a bad guy. So I don't want to engage in the idea that he might be a good guy and, and waiting to turn at the last minute. Sure. I, I want him to be dark. No, it makes sense. I mean, I, I personally am not, I mean, as people who listen to the show for a long time know, I'm not a speculation person because I find that that, for me, leads to disappointment because you have your expectations go a certain direction. I'd rather just kind of take it in, whatever J.J. and everybody, and Kathleen Kennedy, what they want to give to us. That's, to me, that's where I'm the most comfortable living in that area. I will say, I think just a mustache-twitching villain is boring. And I, I certainly don't think that you need to go through the redemption process because we've done that in Star Wars to perfection with Darth Vader and Anakin Skywalker. Right. So I don't, I don't need that again. We already had a repeat with Death Star twice and then Star Killer Base, which is pretty much like Death, Death Star, Star Part 3. 3.0. Right. So I don't necessarily think that we need that. But I like the complexity. I, I like the challenge. I think you can make someone relatable when they have conflict, inner conflict. I mean, there's basically three classic types of conflict in literature anyway. You know, there's you know, there's man versus man, man versus nature, and man versus self. And I've always gravitated towards man versus self because that's, I think, where most of us live. You know, we, we don't fortunately have conflicts, physical conflicts with people typically. And, you know, you're not often going to be trapped on a deserted island with a volleyball named Wilson as your best friend with man versus nature. But man versus self can be something as, as simple as, gosh, do I feel comfortable going to the movies by myself. Or if you're in high school, gosh, I really want to ask this girl to homecoming, but I'm nervous. That's, that's man versus self. That's relatable. So if Kylo Ren has this conflict and says voices from his past and from his future, that opens up Pandora's box to give us you know, con- conversation with Vader, with Snoke, for whatever else they have planned for this new film. And I think that that's interesting because he's just bad and mean and cranky and he's got this weird um, problem with his father. I mean, that's fine, but we've seen that dozens and dozens and dozens of times across all kinds of media. So let's give us something new and fresh. And honestly, as much as I like Kylo Ren, and I think he's a great costume, I love his voice, I love how Kylo, I love how Adam Driver portrays him. Mm-hmm. I've never, I would never put him even in my top 20 of Star Wars characters. But hearing something like this where they're going to give him a little more depth, I think that's fascinating. Uh, I do too. And one thing I, I enjoy about the conflict that you were just talking about is I feel like knowing that he has a bit of the light side in him or he has that draw, I feel like when he does evil things, that makes him more evil. When he was flying his TIE fighter in that battle in The Last Jedi and he shot into the bridge of the, uh, of the, um, the resistance knowing that his mother was there, I just thought that was horrible. And I just felt so, so bad about that in thinking how evil and how conniving that is. If it was just, if he had no pull to the light side, that's just what we expect him to do. I did wonder, and I had that conflict within myself, is he going to do it? I mean, that's how they set it up in the trailer, right? We, we knew that that was going to be happening and that moment was going to be happening, but we were left waiting. 
was he going to fire in there or was he not? And I think the fact that he does, knowing he's got that draw, knowing he has that connection to the light side and to his parents, that made him even more evil. And so I'm really anxious to see what happens uh, going forward. And I think this mini comic that Charles Soule is writing is going to really give us a snapshot of of where that all comes from and will give us a better picture of what Kylo Ren's going to look like going forward. What say ye? Uh, I'm going to bring up an author that has no business being in this conversation, but Chuck Palahniuk is a wonderful writer at making irredeemably awful characters that I love to read. This is Fight Club guy, right? Yeah, totally, Fight Club. But there's a bazillion other books that he's written, and every one of them at the center of it is a truly horrible person. And there's always some rationale of why I'm being horrible. There's a good reason why I'm being horrible. I just need to get through this moment, and then I'll be good again. And I kind of look at Kylo of, I, I wish Chuck would write him, because it's entertaining to watch someone go into their own abyss and all the mistakes they make where you're like, you know, in a horror movie, don't open the closet, you know, all the things that you're shouting to the character on screen, don't do this, don't do that. And Kylo, you're kind of, I know I have friends that root for him to have a turn at the end to be the good guy. And he he teamed up with Ray. Doesn't that say something? Yeah, his butt was, you know, in jeopardy for that moment. Of course, you're going to do the enemy of my enemy is my friend for five minutes, get done with the battle and go back to being a bad guy. Plus, he never did it out of altruism. He did it out of survival because he thought he could use Ray as his own weapon. Right, exactly. So, I mean, these are all the reasons where I don't want Kylo to shift to the light side. I want him to go deeper. I want him to go darker. I want him to be worse. I want, you know, patricide, matricide. That's a great starting point for a villain, wouldn't you say? If you're willing to go that far. So I would almost be shocked if they tried to redeem him after killing off his own parents with his own hand. What I do know for a fact is that J.J. Abrams is not predictable, right? No, he's not, yeah. not going to brought. I mean, if we're talking about this, you know, we've been talking about this since really The Last Jedi was where it picked up its pace. But J.J. is no fool. I got to go. At Celebration, I got to be on the Good Morning America set and watch him be interviewed and watch Kathleen Kennedy be interviewed. And the way this man uh, artfully dodged questions and speculation was was a it's a gift he's got a gift he's got a lot of gifts so i feel like whatever happens it's going to be something that is shocking and unexpected and it's going to be great fodder for conversations just like this what i was thinking about when we guys were talking about that was also that moment with ray and i think he took that opportunity to you know attempt to make that turn of her to the dark side and it's kind of like you know it's easier to do when you've got a friend and alone, I think he feels like he can't get fully to the dark side. But if he can turn somebody, that is the full, that's, you know, that's, I've done this. And so now it's going to be easier for me to go there as well. So, you know, I think we're, I, I think. Well, it needs an apprentice, right? That is right. Yeah. And so maybe, maybe what you're saying isn't too far from the truth. From a certain point of view. From a certain point yes. of view. <laughs> that's, that's a very Kenobi thing. Uh, so that, that is something I thought that was really interesting. And also, kind of, I don't know, do any of you watch Star Wars Resistance, the animated series? It's really great fun, and it took me a while to kind of get into it, but then once I did, I was completely hooked. I mean, Oscar Isaac is in there as the voice of Poe Dameron. Kylo Ren is going to be in season two, and it's kind of running parallel to what happens. It's kind of interesting what they're doing, and I can't imagine what goes on in, in the Lucasfilm Story Group boardroom, is that they've got Galaxy's Edge and the events from Black Spire Outpost, that novel, which is really, really good, the Galaxy's Edge comic book, Star Wars Resistance, and then The Last Jedi. 
all running kind of almost parallel to each other. And then you've got the rise of resistance, the rise of the resistance attraction that's going to open up in a couple of months. I'm looking at this is my calendar, apparently. Yeah. And and so how they're going to map it and tie it all together, because it's, it's pretty tricky. Now, with the original trilogy, you've got, you know, 40 years of, of actual history that's built into this thing. Then you've got in story, you've got five years basically to play with. So they, there's a lot of avenues they can explore. But this, it's also tightly constructed over a very, very small amount of time. I mean, between episodes one and two, just a matter of moments. Uh, not episodes one, two, episodes seven and eight between The Force Awakens and The Last Jedi. So they've put themselves in a very interesting spot where there's not a lot of options for unique stories to tell outside of this ballpark because it's all in this really nice, tightly wrapped little package. Are you getting excited to get out of the Skywalker saga? Because I am. I mean, I, I love it. I, in 1977, saw the Star Destroyer go over my head, changed my life into nerdism forever. I'm totally on the fan boat. But I've also had an entire lifetime of the Skywalker saga, and it is a big galaxy, and I know that they're working on something in the future that isn't Skywalker-related. I'm like, boy, what do the other corners of the Star Wars universe look like? And I can't wait to meet some new characters because for an entire galaxy, it seems awfully crowded with these nine same people over and over keep showing up, right? Well, that, my, my biggest beef with the, the Star Wars comics is that there's just, there's how much story can they tell? How much more suffering can Luke and Leia and Han actually have before we stretch the realm of credibility in a fictional universe? And I think they went well past that. So I'm glad they're wrapping up the original run right before they lead up to The Empire Strikes Back. And I am at peace with it because I think a good story has a beginning, a middle, and an end. Right. That's actually my, the, my beef is, and this is where my pretentious literature teacher side comes out, but in the Hunger Games books, my challenge with those books was always that they didn't really have beginning, middles, and ends. They were all setups to the next story, but they didn't wrap up tightly. What's nice about the Harry Potter books is they do have a beginning, middle, and end. Yes, the story continues, but they all could stand on their own. And whenever people bring up the Lord of the Rings, Tolkien wrote one book, one massive book, and the editors forced him to divide it up into three books because they knew it would generate more revenue. And history has shown that that worked out very, very well. So that's why there's a weird pause between, you know, the Fellowship of the Ring and the Two Towers because the way it ends, it's because the editors made them do that. So if we have this with a beginning, middle, and end, that's what I want. Like, I want, I mean, other Star Wars is great. I mean, it certainly helps, you know, continuing coffee with Kenobi if we have more Star Wars. But I, I'm happy and at peace with the Skywalker saga ending. And I think, I hope that if they do end it, I hope that it actually stays ended. You can generate more ideas and revenue with a good storyteller. It doesn't have to be the same characters all the time. Huh, I got a lot to say to that, so let me think how I want to go. Well, first of all, that would it's not very comfortable sitting in a chair reading that one book. So I think the editors made the right choice for Tolkien. I, I've got the big leather-bound set. Does anyone have that one? It's like this big, and trying to read that is just it's impossible. But that's beside the point. To answer the question about am I ready to, for the Skywalker Skywalker saga to be over? Dan, I'm with you. I'm at peace if this is it. But I'm one of those fans that if you know, we know what they've told us, and we, we've been given the clue that this, this will wrap it up and this will finish it. But if something happens where it's not the end, I'm, as a fan, I'm good with that. I, I, you know, it's been 40 years. You know, 1985 or 86, I thought it was done. And I was fine when it came back. Mm -hmm. And so that's okay with me. So I don't know. Yes, I'm at peace with it. 
Um, and, uh, Don't get and me wrong. I, if there was, if there was a good, if there's act, my thing is always: is there a story to tell? Are we trying mm-hmm. to make money and sell more action figures, or is there actual story? Absolutely, to tell? If there's a legitimate story to tell that continues to evolve these characters. Hold that yes. thought. Yeah. You know, you're talking about the Disney company, right? I do. Okay. Storyline don't matter. They go, hey, you know, we could make a bazillion dollars if we did just one more Skywalker story. They'll do it. Well, don't you think they, that there when, will always be money until the fans just riot and say no more and boycott all the theaters, which isn't going to happen. No. So I think that they're actually making a relatively smart call, even if they don't follow it. They've announced it that this is the end, right? Get ready for the end. We're going to move on with something new. If there was a massive fan outcry of no, I can only handle Star Wars if it's Luke, Han, and Leia. And, uh, otherwise, I'm done. Well, then they go, okay, we'll do one more. Oh, another and, trilogy. You know, or maybe something. maybe Disney Plus is a litmus test for that. It could be. Because they're, they're going to test some things that are not Skywalker-related, although Kenobi is certainly going to be that's going to be a, an important part of it. Yeah, but Mandalorian won't be Skywalker-related. Right, that's what I'm saying, Yeah, they're testing outside of Yeah, and then Cass, the Cassian Andor series as well, because hmm. there won't be any Skywalkers in that. I was going to say, and that so so the aside to that is I'm at peace with it if it happens. I'm perfectly happy if, they, if for some reason there's a line that, that leaves it open where Skywalkers can come back. But I do love, and I love that, I, that you brought up the fact that it's a big galaxy. There are a lot of stories to be told, and so when it comes to the Mandalorian, to the Kenobi story, all the comics and the novels that come out, I'm ready to gobble those up. I love the history of this galaxy. I never thought at a point in my life that this would be where we are, but when they were making all those announcements on the D23 of the Kenobi story and D23 announcements, all I thought was I never dreamed that we would have a history of the Star Wars galaxy like we do, and I am just... I, I can't get enough of it. Well, let, let's let's tie it into uh, to Marvelous Disney. And why why are you the amazing Ernest? Why can't we have like the dude? You've met me. I'm I'm awesome. Well, you are. <laughs> no, no, you are. Amazing is not a good enough of a word for you. But but what about you? Know, like the Dash and Nancy or the dastardly Drew Taylor? No, actually, right? it's it's amazing. This is such <laughs> a stupid little thing. My name is Aaron Zachary Adams. When I produce things, that we always had to initial everything. Oh, so as my, a prod. So all of my stuff has been known in the radio industry as Aza Prod because those are my initials. I produced it. And I actually get phone calls of people that work in a radio station that go, I've uncovered a dusty closet that has an entire wall of Aza Prod. And I'm like, congratulations, you found the Ark of the Covenant. I just wanted to find a way to, to make fun of Drew Taylor, so I got my Oh, chance. we can, yeah. we can yeah. find all yeah. kinds of ways to make fun of Drew. You guys love Drew. Drew, right? He is he's yeah. amazing. We, 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 I tried to get him to come, but he was in L.A. It was a long bike ride. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Let's look at it this way. Let's pretend like Endgame is the Skywalker saga for the Marvel Universe. Because, you know, Captain America, Iron Man, Thor, I mean, that like all those characters, those are the ones we love so much. And for, what, 11 years we've had them. It's not as long of a run historically as the Skywalker saga. But that's pretty comparable. In some ways, maybe even more so, right? And look at the quality. Look at how much time. But we're branching off from them into other areas of the Marvel Universe. And it, it appears that it's going to be gold. I mean, it's still early, but Marvel hasn't made a misstep yet. So well, one of the things that we were chatting with with some of our listeners that were kind enough to come greet us, and he was, I got a bone to pick with you. Uh, and it was, no, no, I know, I'm, I'm just playing with you. But it, I was happy to have a disagreement with a, a listener, and it was about all the threads that are connected. Mm-hmm. And I had a coworker, and she's a hip girl, but she's, you know, about 65, so she's not hasn't seen all the Marvel movies, and she was just cruising through Netflix and went, hey, what's this Endgame thing? And hit play, 
And then there's a talking raccoon and a tree and what the <laughs> So she's on Twitter going, hey guys, has anyone heard of this Endgame thing? Is, is there something more to this that I'm missing? And everyone chimed in with, yeah, there's like 21 movies. You're going to be up for like the next month doing your homework to figure out that you came in at the last chapter of the story. Now, on the flip side of these things, I do like that we've had these threads and I was comparing with uh, Bond earlier. You know, we've had different actors but really for uh, Marvel, all of these interconnected threads with a Thor franchise and an Iron Man franchise and a Captain America. If you look at Captain America, he's a soldier from the 1920s, an era that most of us are not familiar with because we didn't actually live in that time, right? Captain America is the biggest outcast we've got just from the time displacement. Then you've got a billionaire who invents a flying suit of armor. And then you've got a Norse god of thunder who just drops in. And, uh, and after the third movie, we're like, okay. It fits, right? And they shouldn't go together. That is chocolate and habanero peppers and gasoline. And somehow it tastes like a Reese's. And so we're, we're still gobbling it up. And I do like that they have all those threads. And my only complaint was if we have all these threads tying it together, it's really hard for a point of entry. Right. It feels like you have to go back two decades to Iron Man 1 to start that adventure. And so I, I always want, because I'm a fan, and I do like the way that it is connected, I don't want anyone to be left by the wayside. Sure. You know, it's like they're kind of hitchhiking. It's like, sorry, man, you haven't seen the other 13 movies like we have. This is a closed conversation. You can't join us. That metaphor was delicious, by the way. Oh, thank you. Was it the gasoline yeah, that yeah, really topped it off? Yeah, okay. it, was, it sparked a lot for me, for sure. Yeah, but I, the one thing about the MCU that I, that I have enjoyed, and I think it's different uh, that a lot of studios, unfortunately, they found success in something, and all the other studios want to jump on that bandwagon and go, we can do that too. How many people remember the Universal Monsters try that they gave with, let's see. One movie, right? Oh, no. There the was the mummy with Tom Cruise. Before that was Wolfman with uh, was Beni Benicio del Toro. It was going to until it failed. Really? And then they went, well, that didn't work, so we're going to try it again. But this time, a different Universal monster. This time, we'll go with the mummy. And instead of making a mummy movie, we accidentally made a Tom Cruise movie that had a mummy in it. Right. Um, and that didn't work out so well. So Universal has tried to, and they keep trying, and they keep trying to make this cohesive universe. And as soon as a movie kicks off and makes its bank, they're going to go with that Marvel formula. DC tried with Justice League, and it didn't do as well. And now they're abandoning that, and they've got a Joker movie coming out that's not tied to a universe. It's its own standalone thing. I like that bravery. And in a most recent show with Jim, I said, basically right now, Disney is locked their cruise control and they're not going to change course until they hit an iceberg. It will take a financial disaster for them to go, we need to do something different. Until then, you're going to get threads interconnected. It's all going to lead into one another. DC is going to go and they're going to do their own little thing. Uh, Star Wars has been its own thing for decades now. They don't really need to change their formula. They know what they're doing. But a lot of movie studios go, we want to be in on this universe building idea, which is why Sony yanked Spider-Man away. Because right. they go, we've got all of his villains, but we can't use the hero. So they've got a Morbius, the uh, living vampire movie coming out. They've got a Venom movie coming yeah. out. And, and it's like, yeah. this don't matter to any of it. Sure. And if, and if this was not looking at Lucasfilm, we could make this a Spider-Man support group. It could be. Because <laughs> I I'm need pretty support. bummed that he's not part of that anymore. But yeah. Yeah. Let's, let's, uh, do you want to say anything about the Marvel thing before? Because I have an idea for something else, but go ahead. When you said that once you get to a certain point, it's kind of like this is our conversation and you can't, you can't hop on. I will uh, address that a little bit. Um, when I introduced Marvel Universe, 
universe to my daughters. I have a 12-year-old daughter, and she's been wanting to be a part of this for quite a while, and I just keep scratching my head going, how far back do I have to go? Because I don't have much time to get, you know, I, can't, I don't have all that time to get all that in. And so, um, and so we just started with Miss Marvel. Then we went, that that because that sold her, that was a hero for her, and Captain gave her Marvel. Captain Marvel. Yeah. What did I say? Miss Marvel. Oh, I'm sorry, yes, okay. not Kamala Khan. Not, not, Mc- yeah, not Kamala Khan, with uh, um, Miss, or, uh, Captain Marvel. And that, so I, I introduced it that way because I wanted her to have her hero. Um, and so then we went to Infinity War and gave her the big picture, and boy, the questions came flying. But I was able to address each one of those individually. And then we got to Infinity War and just blew her mind. And now she said, okay, what do I need to know to answer that? And what do I need to know to answer that? And so one thing I am super excited about is going back and starting over with her and starting that conversation from Iron Man, the first Iron Man, and going through and, and letting the light bulb turn on like, oh, that's Yes, that is why, and I can't, I can't wait for that. that. So, yeah, we're a little exclusive if you start too late, but boy, the opportunities there to have a light bulb. I'm really excited to see what that looks like when the curtain has already been pulled. I want to ask you a very directly related question for both of you, by the way, and actually for all the people here. I don't have kids, but I know a lot of my friends who have kids who have the Star Wars question, which order do I show my kids Star Wars? I'm sure you've addressed it. Okay, you say four, five, six from the audience. Now you're okay with jumping into the MCU willy-nilly, like there's no rules. Yes. How do you approach Star Wars? Is it the same willy-nilly factor? You just jump in wherever you want? No. Oh, now there's rules. Okay, your universe gets rules, but mine doesn't. I see where we're at. Oh boy. That fly is dead. Yeah. <laughs> so the same daughter, I started, uh, I started, um, and we went, we went, uh, I don't remember the names of the orders, but we went the way I saw it. Four, five, six, one, two, three, and then seven. The now, machete order is four, five, six, one, two, three, basically. Yeah. So or four, five, one, two, three. Six. six. Yeah, a lot of people. Which I six. I've done that uh, for one, uh, one of the things I do in my mythology class is I do show f- uh, four, five, and then one, two, three, and then six. And I, I'm telling you, for if they're older, that's the way to do it because the reveal of the twins in episode three is so much more powerful than episode six with a casual conversation mm-hmm. between a force ghost and a, and a burgeoning Jedi, and it, and then it it makes it so much more painful watching Anakin's fall because they have context. And then when he gets redeemed in Return of the Jedi, there's like this incredible emotional release that I don't think mm-hmm. was built in when we saw these in 77, 80, and 83. So for teenagers, that's what I would suggest. But I mean to cut you off. No, that's okay. And I was just going to say for my younger daughter, who's eight, who now has grown up with Ray and Finn and Kylo Ren, she hasn't seen any of them. She just knows them by by name, and she's seen the Resistance uh, program. Uh, so the way she I will introduce Star Wars to her is uh, seven, eight, and then she'll go to the release of nine. At least I'm hoping for that, and then we'll go back. And so I don't know from there. If you've seen seven, eight, nine, what do you go back to first, one or four? Well, see, so Mason is six. So I showed him episode four when he was three. And then we watched five, and then we watched six within about a two-year span. And then, we sh- and then I showed him one and two, and he's six. And he's not seen episode three, even though he asked me about it probably three or four times a week. <laughs> and he's not going to see episode three for a long time because there's a se- – well, not only does he have to wait, but more importantly, there's a sequence where Anakin kills these children. And I just don't like that. 
I don't want him to have to digest that. Although I tend to think of that part as more metaphorical, him losing his innocence than actually happening. That helps me make peace with that anyway. So he saw four, five, six, one, two. Then he's seen all of Rebels, and we're starting to watch Clone Wars. And he's seen seven and eight, right? And I am going to take him to see episode nine after I screen it, of course, about a half a dozen times. And that's just in the first day. But uh, I do think all things being pure and equal, it's you got to do four, five, six, one, two, three because of N media res, the Latin term where you start a story in the middle and you go backwards, which is what Homer did with the Odyssey and the Iliad. That's what all the classic mythological archetypes do, and there's more powerful narrative in that. So what we've come for today is uh, next week we're going to be launching a new app for Coffee with Kenobi that tells you how to order Star Wars for different age groups, That's right? right. That's yeah, right. if they're teens, right. you got to go this order. If they're younglings, yes. they have to get this order. Yes. Yeah, right. Now, Marvel is a different... I do appreciate that because Mason has seen... The first Marvel movie he saw was Far From Home because it was in theaters and we had some time and I'm a teacher, so the summer was off. And, and he loves Spidey. And I read all the reviews and said, you know, as Marvel movies go, it's the least violent, really. And there's a little part with Mysterio that I know is your absolute favorite, mm-hmm. um, where I, I said, you know, I, I warned him that you want to close your eyes. And he didn't. And he just he thought it was cool. It didn't bother him in the least. And I showed him the original Avengers because I wanted to give it a taste because I can't show him the original Iron Man because there's some pretty dark stuff there. Uh, Captain America's got some blood, some, some dark stuff. I mean, it's really you have to gauge it kind of on where your kids are at. Now, Kaylee's older. Right? And Kelsey's older. Yeah. So it's different. So I'm like racking my brain about what can I show me? He wants to see Age of Ultron because he loves Hulk, the Hulkbuster. Mm-hmm. That's what he mm-hmm. wants to see. Yeah. But, you know, Marvel for some reason, and, you know, parents can empathize with this, they, they, they use a lot more tricky language, like colorful language, blue, blue language and humor, which is great for me as an adult. But when I'm introducing my six year old to this comic book universe, I don't want him to have to deal with that. So there's a lot of navigating. We're having some fun, but, but it's, it's a little more convoluted, I guess. It has to be because I feel so liberated right now because I love colorful blue language. It's my favorite flavor of language. But if you had a six-year-old, you wouldn't. No, absolutely. But right. And that's the thing is like when I went home and uh, Jessica Jones on Netflix, I liked that she had an alcohol problem. I wish they would have addressed it because she drank so much on that show, she should have been in many accidents. And I think it was almost irresponsible to make her drink so much on screen and not be stupid. Have you know, consequence. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you know, the movie Arthur back in the 80s, we all laughed at oh, the, boy. the drunk British man. was so funny back then. Socially not acceptable today. So, Jessica, I like the fact that they were still adult enough to say, yeah, she's got this issue, but they didn't address it. And so with... Uh, Daredevil and Punisher and those things that are on Netflix, they're not in a theater, so they don't have to cater, you know, and worry about kids coming in. They can be a little bit more free with the language, with the adult themes that go along with all of that. So as an adult fan, I grew up with the squeaky clean version when Marvel gave me Marvel Knights, which was, you know, about the repercussions of crime and the dirty underbelly. It was more adult and more realistic, and that was kind of what kept me going as a in my 20s. You know, when I didn't want to read the kids version, I wanted to read a more adult version. So Netflix to me is my Marvel Knights adult version where they can use language and whatnot. And the theater experience is just big splashy color and uh, more family friendly fun. And it's more like that window is so small where you can kind of protect their innocence and and not expose them to some of the ugliness that can happen in the world. And I never worry about I'm saying certain words because I mean he's bound to hear them unfortunately just in the world. But as long as I can protect that part of it and just let them have... I mean, when I started reading comic books, it's because 
I love Spider-Man's costume, and I love the really cool villains, and I love him sneaking up and climbing onto a, a building and that his, his clothes were webbed you know, on there, and he had to disguise it and get back into his Peter Parker costume, and just the kind of the fun of that. And as, I think as long as we keep on to the things that are fun, right. yeah. you know, then, then you've got magic. Right. Which is so, why I, I'm so eh about The Mandalorian, as we've talked about, because I'm looking forward to seeing it, but I like hope. I like joy, and and I, w- I want a little more of that sprinkled in, not a reminder of how cynical things can be. I mean, you know, I'll be watching The Mandalorian the moment it's released, probably sooner, you know, mm-hmm. you know Disney list, hopefully. <laughs> but I don't know. Yeah, um, so I have a couple things I want to go back to and, and wrap up my thoughts on. The first one is talking about showing these films to children. Um, it just makes me wonder what kind of person I must be or what kind of father I must be when I think about the reason why you didn't want to show episode three um, because of the killing of young Jedi. That didn't even cross my mind with my children. I was more concerned about the beheading of Dooku. I didn't care if she saw them, Anakin well, murdering the children. at the end, too. That's, I mean, that's even more yeah. so. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so, yeah, there's that. And then talking about having a very specific order to watching a galaxy like Star Wars um, versus uh, showing the Marvel movies in, in a particular order. I think the reason I'm not so concerned about showing different episodes of the Marvel, the MCU, is because each one of them really can be kind of consumed as a, as a solo film yeah, by yeah. itself. Whereas Star Wars is so interconnected along a more timeline. More dependent upon yeah. a specific, yeah. it's more linear, much yeah. more linear. Yeah. But I can't wait, and, I, and God, I never really thought about it, that I don't necessarily, I suppose, for a timeline purpose, don't have to show those Marvel movies. We don't have to go back to Iron Man 1. We could go back to the Captain America first or something like that and, and allow those light bulbs to come on because, again, we know the end of the story, but what we'll see. So I think that's why I wasn't too concerned about that. Well, that's a good point. Is to You're right that each Marvel movie is more standalone-ish, yeah. and... You know, as soon as the Last Jedi was credits started rolling, I'm like, "When's the next one? When's the next one?" Because I wanted a conclusion to this story, and that is the difference. MCU is self, with the exception of Infinity War leading into Endgame, uh, everything else is just a single movie that either builds a franchise that each episode can be individually watched and consumed, or you can sit down for a 60 hours straight and watch them all in order. And I'll tell you, my sickness goes that deep that I did actually put not only all the MCU movies, but I put in uh, Carter, Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D., and S.H.I.E.L.D., and I put it all in chronological order, and when Thor, The Dark World happens, you better believe I put a split and stopped Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. so I could put in the Thor movie and then resume Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. when they had to clean up the mess of it. So yeah, it's like 90 hours of sitting behind a computer editing episodes and and putting stuff where it doesn't belong, but it's a lot of fun. I know a lot of people have an interest in learning how to edit video. A great exercise, take the amazing Spider-Man, remove all the stuff about his parents that never gets used anyway. You've got a stronger film. You will enjoy the amazing Spider-Man a little bit more by taking that bit out. It makes it a stronger movie because they never resolved it because they never got to the third one. Uh, same thing with the MCU. They used to do those one shots. where there's oh, the on the discs? Yeah, where Coulson meets with another agent in a diner and he ends up telling him about how they found a th- uh, hammer out in Arizona or New Mexico and he's on his way to that. You take that five minute little clip, you plug it in uh, Iron Man 2 when Coulson's like, hey, something happened, I gotta go. Plug in that scene and then you have to find a way to tie Iron Man back into Thor. 
and you end up learning all of a sudden, lo and behold, how to edit a storyline because that's not meant to be there. Now you have story problems and you have to figure out a way to make a new jigsaw puzzle piece that now fits this little mashup thing that you made. It's a lot sure. of fun and it can be educational. All right, so let, let, we've got about um, 15 minutes left or so. I want to bring up one quick thing, and then if any of you have questions or want to come on the show, we'd love to have you. Let's, well, actually, let, let's do that first. I just want to get an idea so I can pace out the time. Who wants to be on the microphone and, and bring up a question or a topic about Lucasfilm? Yeah, come on up. You, yeah, you're up. You're ready. Here we go. First, please uh, share with us uh, who you are. John from Illinois, Central Lightly Illinois. Named John. <laughs> Why I love 456, okay? I showed my son uh, first, and then my daughter came later. I actually showed my son uh, at a young age and made him wait a couple of years just because I wanted the build of the anticipation that I felt. I wasn't trying to relive, you know, my life through his eyes, but I knew that it was effective to me. But that reveal of Darth Vader, spoiler alert, the reveal of Darth Vader at the end of Empire rocked my world. I remember that when I was that age and it did him too. And then later when I showed my daughter in that order, I felt the same, or I, I saw the same, you know, she, she didn't believe it. She thought it was all a trick. She thought he was just trying to get Luke to join him. But that's why I went with four, five, six. I know some younger people go with one, two, three, but it, it kind of takes away a lot of that magic that, you know, gets revealed, especially when he's redeemed at the end of uh, Return of the Jedi. And, I, and I've noticed it is very generational. When I first started teaching, my students thought four, five, and six were fine, but they thought they were slow or boring. I even heard people say New Hope was boring. For me, it's like, what? Boring? This is like rocket pace. Although, yeah. I mean, when you look at it, when you step back, you're like, okay, I see what they mean. But they love one, two, three, because that's, it's like their Star Wars. That's what they grew up with. But I'm with you. I think the story is more pure when it's four, five, and six, but also very biased. <laughs> yeah. Because we grew up that way. That's right. <laughs> yeah. I was telling Jim Hill a story one time on the show. Oh, there's a writer that we both had in common that we read. Drew McQueenie was a reviewer. And he had the same experience. I want to show my kids that Vader moment, that reveal. Because it blew my mind back in the day. So he sits down his kids. They're watching Empire. The reveal happens. And the kid turns to dad and goes, does that mean you're going to try and kill me, dad? And he's like, no, that is not what was intended Yikes. to happen at this moment. That went dark. Yeah, I mean, so I'm glad that they just had their minds blown for a minute and didn't think that dad was lurking in the closet at night ready to do something evil. So it's, it could have gone bad. Yeah. But I'm glad that they just enjoyed it for a movie and didn't scare the bejesus out of them for months. Hey, awesome. thanks for being on, John. Absolutely. Anybody else? Thank you, guys. I got two questions. My yeah. name is Ron. I'm from... Uh, Kentucky and my quest two questions first one do you think maybe the Kylo Ren comic book story is going to be a matter of nature versus nurture you know right first you know his, his surroundings versus the DNA that they mentioned it being in his blood right do you think it might be that that type of story uh, real quick before Tom jumps in I think nature versus nurture is exactly the way they should go because it's I mean it, what a beautiful canvas for them to explore that I like that you even that you brought that up is super cool because yeah, he's got the good in him but he's also got you know the Vader blood you know you know like Han Solo says there, you know there's too much Vader in him right they says that in The Force Awakens but he certainly grew up but it, but we've seen in the book like the Chuck Wendig aftermath trilogy Han Solo's not around very much and I, I always was a little bit remiss that they they made it kind of a like an absentee father sort of a thing with Han Solo but in the books it's certainly how they have played it out and it is canonical so I can't help but wonder intuitively if 
there's a little bit of anger or resentment there within within Ben Solo, which would, would kind of make this nature nurture thing part of it. Like he inadvertently started him down a path, perhaps that Snoke saw a crack in. I mean, what do you think? It just seems to me that it's gonna, it's hinting at nature versus nurture. That's what I was just. Oh, saying. I agree. I agree. And you say another one. My, my other question is, who do you think is the Loki of the Star Wars universe? Oh, I bet Tom has a good perspective on that. I actually don't mind being put on the spot. Yeah. Yeah. Good questions. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Those are great questions. The Loki of the Star Wars universe. Well, it's it's Lando. The the trickster? He's the trickster. I mean, just in one movie for a brief part, but as Lady Williams has said for a very long time, it wasn't me that betrayed Han Solo. It It was Lando. You know, he still got questions about that for 20, 30 years after the fact. And the, the trickster in mythology is typically someone who, whether by accident or because of part of their nature, find themselves in a position where they have to mislead. Loki just does it with a big smile on his face, and he never is apologetic, really. Mm-hmm. Um, but he's the closest one that I would think of. Yeah, I, I, I think I like that assessment. I, my mind instantly went to a it's It's not a major character in the Star Wars universe, and it's definitely not – he's def, not, not in any of the films, but I went to like a Hondo. Sure. You know, someone who – a good call. Like you said, you know, they – they play both sides and uh, and not just and not uh, transparently. They do it, you know, very conniving and uh, behind the scenes. Yeah. Um, the nature versus nurture. I don't know. I, I, I liked your assessment also of um, Han Solo as an absentee father, which I'm not surprised at. When I, I, I remember reading the it's his MO. Yeah. When I when I read that book, I was disappointed. But I think. I was supposed to be disappointed. Mm-hmm. You know, I wanted Han Solo to be an active member of the Alliance I, or, you know, with Leia and being a partner with Leia. But absolutely, it completely makes sense that he would go off on his own. He's a, he's a, he's a scoundrel. And we see the seeds of that in Solo. And I know you had something you wanted to... Yeah. yeah. Sorry to take the conversation back to the uh, sequence again, but I had a thought. I'm a teacher of world history in uh, middle school, and... I, I have had this conversation so many times with colleagues um, trying to figure out, like, what, how do we teach history? You know, do, do we teach it sequentially? Is it important that we follow a timeline? Or can we break it out in chunks? You know, is it important for us to teach about the ancient Greeks before the ancient Romans? Or can I teach them separately and, and then go back? And, you know, there's always teachable moments and connections that you can make. And I think that that applies to the sequencing in the Star Wars movies. Like, I think it really applies. Depends on how it's being done or, or what age group it is. If if it's adults that are coming to it for the first time, it might be best of them to go in the order that they were originally released and experience it like the rest of us did. Um, for students or younger kids, you know, it's it's how you're going to teach them through there. How are you going to mentor them through seeing what they're going to see? So. And you are, and you're from. Um, I'm Tim. I'm from Moment or from um, Illinois. Awesome. Cubs fan. Yes. Out boy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll talk about that first, because um, I, at one point, uh, being a librarian now, but at one point I did teach uh, history, and uh, with a partner, we co-taught an English um, history class together, and we approached it two different ways in a couple different years, and it was interesting, the, the, the reveals, when you teach history backwards, how when, when you're teaching something that's more current, and then you rewind and teach something else that shows the impact of that there are a lot of aha moments as to oh this is why in 
the, the last unit when we were in the, I don't know, for whatever, you know, in the Civil War, when that happened, that was because of this that we're learning now in the 1820s. Ah, uh, yes, that is true. And so, I don't know, you know, I never thought about the fact, I don't know if it was conscious. I don't think so, because, I mean, this was 10, 10, 15 years ago. But, uh, but when I think about how I approach Star Wars and where the real aha moments come from, sometimes when you look back from, from the, the original trilogy and you go back to the prequels, you're like, oh, my gosh, that explains why this or that. And so I don't know if that's what crept into my mind when I was uh, teaching U.S. history that way, but, uh, but I, I definitely think there was some value to that. That's, I, I always forget to mine you for that because you did have that cool experience uh, for so long before you became a, a librarian, which is super, super cool. And I also think it's, and I'm sure you agree with this too, like it's kind of conducive to what your, where your students are at. And one of the things I do, I, my mythology class is a semester-long class, and I change it all the time because I get bored very easily. And I just like to just think of different things all the time because I think it's more interesting that way. And if it's interesting for the teacher, I think the students uh, will gain more out of that or glean more out of that. So say, hey, what, what areas do you, are you interested in? You know, are you interested in Marvel? Are you interested in Egyptian mythology? Are you in, interested in Native American mythology? What are you interested in? So that might be kind of a fun kind of a survey thing that you could do too. Hey, what areas do you like? Because, I mean, I remember when I was in grade school and there's a book called Speak by Laurie Halls Anderson, which is a really powerful book. And one of the things that happened in that book is she says, every year we start history with Columbus and we start basically at the turn of the Industrial Revolution and they always stop there. So they never get to go past the other stuff. So that, that's a great question. It's a great question. I think sometimes the best questions have more questions attached to them than answers, personally. We have time for maybe one more. Anybody else wanna come on the show? Like if you have a Boba Fett hat and obviously you're a big Star Wars fan? There you go. Okay. He, he can always tell. There you go. Will the Ewok movies ever be can, canon? No. And that's it. Too much, Show's over. Good too night. much fake fortunelessness? No, I mean, I, I think that they like them. I know that they like them. In fact, we just did a show on looking at Lucasfilm about them. So I'm, I guess I might be one of the things that sparked your idea. But I think that with the new thing, they're gonna, they want to do stuff that's going to really push on Disney Plus and that kind of stuff. And... Uh, I don't know. I, I think. Oh, and they might. I mean, I know they take elements. From, I mean, one of that big one of the that big creature from the first Ewok movie was in an episode, Forces of Destiny, with Luke and Leia. And that is canonical. So I think they'll just use it as a minefield and take stuff, just like they do with the, the Star Wars Legends line, and grab stuff. But just in context, how it is, I, I, I highly doubt it. For clarification, were you asking because you want it to be canon, or are you just morbidly curious about whether it could be? Morbidly curious. <laughs> oh, did I say morbidly curious? I meant morbidly curious. <laughs> yeah, okay. That was great. Right. Yeah, very fun. Interesting. Anybody else? Well, you have been wonderful. It's been nice. It's kind of nice to have a nice, quiet little intimate gathering like this. Of course, you can find us in the Jim Hill Podcast Media Network. We've got... Marvelous Disney, looking at Lucasfilm, Universal Joint with Justin Fuse, fine-tuning with Drew Taylor, and then, of course, the bread and butter. There's Disney Dish. The Disney Dish with Len Testa and Jim Hill. Jim Hill, again, is, he apologized for not being here, but hopefully next year. We will be giving you the flu just so it feels like a real <laughs> legitimate meeting with Jim Hill. But after you get your influenza, you have to leave. <laughs> hey, thank you so much, everybody. And, don't be, and if you're a big Stars fan, be sure to check out Coffee with Kenobi each and every week as well. Thank you so much. Thank you, guys. Thank you for listening to Looking at Lucasfilm with Jim Hill and Dan Z, one of many great podcasts on the Jim Hill Media Network.